0: Remember the struggles and concerns you had in the seventh grade? What were they? Who was there for you to work them out? When I heard Dr. Heather Holloman was writing a fictional story about a 12-year-old girl going through all the struggles that kids do these days, I was really excited because I knew she would do a great job helping readers process some of that inner turmoil. And let's be honest, those of us who are adults process it too and maybe are still processing it. We talked about a new book of hers in June, and today we're coming back to that. Don't call us. Our program is recorded, but I hope you'll stay with us. There were a couple of programs that were spawned by this conversation with Heather. Welcome to the Radio Backyard Fence. Thank you for joining us for our continuing conversation we call Chris Fabry Live. Online, chrisfabrylive.org. Thanks to Ryan McConaughey doing all things technical. Trish is our producer. Tahira is not in the chair today, but she helped on the original program and so did Gabby. And thank you friends and partners of this program. You enable us to come to you each day. And I've gotten some really good feedback about the uh, thank you this month. Already uh, my new novel, Saving Grayson, released on Tuesday, just a couple of days ago and already i'm i'm getting response from people who have read it who have gone through who kind of devoured it some of them me i'm a slow processor i like to read and savor but a lot of people just kind of run right through it and either way is fine you you read anything i'm i've written and and you're good with me i would love to send you a copy of this new brand new novel saving grayson You can see it at chrisfabrylive.org. Scroll down. You can see how give a gift right there. You can give a monthly gift and receive it. You can give a one-time gift, become a friend or a partner with us, chrisfabrylive.org. If you'd rather call, just call 866-95-FABRY, 866-953-2279. I want to put this in your hands. I think it'll move you. Sure did me. God bless you, friend. Thanks for your support at the Radio Backyard Fence. Let's go back to 1994. Listen carefully as we get on the bus with Forrest. He's looking hard for a place to sit down. Everybody is shaking their head at him, refusing to let him sit.
1: Can't sit here.
0: I want you to hear Dr. Heather Holloman today. Well, as soon as I heard about her book, I thought of that scene in Forrest Gump. Heather is an associate professor at Penn State, speaker, author. She also serves with faculty commons in the professor and graduate student ministry of Crew. married to Ashley. They have two daughters. And first of all, Heather, welcome. Tell me what you were thinking as you're listening to that.
1: Well, first of all, thank you for having me on this program. This is going to be such a treat. And honestly, when I heard that clip, I just, you know, I, I think of that moment when you walk into a room and someone says, this seat's taken, this seat's saved. It breaks my heart. I, it's a quintessential moment that every person I've ever talked to, they have that moment in their life when someone says, you can't, there's no seat for you here. Yes,
0: you can't sit here. And in the, in the novel, I won't give everything away, but this is a, a seminal moment walking into the lunchroom the first day. And there's a good reason why the seat was saved. But for the young girl, uh, Elita Brown is her name, for her, it just is this crushing thing that she has a hard time getting over.
1: That's right. And and I like to remember that these moments that seem very insignificant, okay, you walk into a lunchroom, there, there's not a seat at the table. They don't seem that traumatic. They don't seem that significant. But really in the life of a young person, that is a wound. It leaves a scar for a lifetime. And I didn't really begin to heal from my own middle school lunchroom rejection until I was a 40-year-old woman.
0: Wow. Okay, so tell me about it. Take me back to seventh or eighth grade. For me, the the hardest year for me was eighth grade, but for you, was it seventh grade?
1: Yes, and I remember the exact moment when I walked into the lunchroom and I suddenly had an awareness that there was a popular table and I was not invited to sit. There were no seats left for me and and I don't even know if it was intentional. It was that my two best friends were they grew up so much faster than I did. They were beautiful, they were athletic, they were popular, and Chris, I was I was a late bloomer who was reading grammar books for fun in my bedroom at night. <laughs> I did not have a chance. I was fishing in my backyard. I was very much still a little girl when I was 12 years old. And I think that's part of the problem with middle school. You have some people are really growing up faster. And I just realized I wasn't popular, realized I didn't know where to sit in the lunchroom. And it really became symbolic of this deep rejection. And what happens in the lives of children is they become rejection sensitive. They internalize that moment. It's incredibly painful. They often don't know how to talk to their parents about it. And it, it just creates this great insecurity. The number one need of both young people and adults is belonging. So that moment really made—it sent me on a search to fight for a seat at the table my entire life until I read mm-hmm. Ephesians two six on a summer day in late July when I was a much older woman. Hmm.
0: The other thing that middle school or junior high would do to you is— create a different world. And it, there was a different world in elementary school, but it was different because you didn't have the class schedule. You didn't have to move around and lockers and all that kind of stuff. But there is this uh, certain thing that means that you are separated from other people, you know, the popular people in all the groups, but you're also separated from your parents. And there are things that your parents can't understand because they don't go to that school and they, don't, they wouldn't understand. And the continual thing that you, the mantra that you hear is your parents don't understand you. you they, they won't be able to, to handle whatever it is that you're going through. So that accentuates the aloneness, doesn't it?
1: Yes, it's a profoundly lonely feeling. And one of the moments, a life-changing moment for me as a parent was when my daughter, Sarah, who gives permission to share this story, when she turned 12 years old, she came home from school one day and I noticed, you know, this is a great child, but suddenly she was feeling sick in the morning. She didn't want to go to school. Her grades were suffering and she came up to me in my office and Chris, she said, Mom, I got to talk to you about something. And I said, Sarah, what's going on? And she said, Mom, I can't find a seat in the lunchroom. Nobody wants to sit with me. Her her friends had become really popular and outgoing, and she didn't have a seat, and she was sitting there alone in the lunchroom, and she just cried. And I said, Sarah, God has shown me something so powerful in Ephesians 2.6 that we are already seated with Jesus. He chose you for His table. And I read her that passage, Chris, and it changed her life forever. It began to heal her as a 12-year-old. So you're right, parents, this is a moment where kids think, my mom does not understand me, but if they open their heart even a little bit, a mom and dad can say, look, I was there too, and the Bible has answered this problem, that the Bible will show us how to heal from this moment.
0: The other important thing is she came to you, first of all, you listened well to her, which goes back to your book on communication. And you probably asked her some questions in the mi- in the middle of all that, but there was room or space, I, I'm guessing, for lament that you you didn't rush her to Ephesians two six until she had cried a few tears because yes. those <laughs> tears are good, right?
1: Well, they're good, and I cried as well. The wound is deep. I mean, I have memories of every table, not only that I wasn't invited to sit at, but the tables that. I will never sit at because of how God made me and some of the limitations in my life. So we cried about it. And what Sarah had to understand, when when I read Ephesians 2 to her, I said, look, this is really hard to picture. It says that God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him. I said, Paul was in a Roman prison, and he understood a different reality, that he was seated with Jesus, and God had a a life plan for him that was going to be full of joy and peace, even in the midst of suffering. And I saw the Holy Spirit begin to apply that passage to her. And we had to talk about it. We even watched a scene of King Arthur calling the knights to the round table, because I said, look, it's kind of like a round table. So yes, this was a long conversation, but it was so powerful that for her senior pictures years later, she wore a necklace that said seated on it for her senior <laughs> photos. And, you know, now she's a resident advisor in college, and her whole life is about including people and helping people belong because wow. that is really that's really the desire of our heart, to belong to God, to belong to one another. So listening to those conversations, however, I do want to affirm it is hard for young people to sometimes talk to their parents. That's why the, the importance of a mentor the importance of other adults in your children's life that you allow them to have relationships with. Sometimes it's not going to be just mom and dad. Do you find that's true, Chris, that it's not Absolutely. always just mom and dad?
0: Yeah. Well, it's it's great to have someone who reinforces what mom and dad say, but sometimes you don't yes. have mom and dad that are you know connected or, or just have the capacity to do it. And if you've got a mentor, a mentor can be a great positive influence or a great negative influence, too. You've got to we've got to be honest about that. When we come back from a break, I am going to read some Facebook responses because they are really telling about our subject today. And I want to tell you, if you hear a phone number during the program or dated information about the book being out today, this program originally aired in June of this year, June 6th. When Dr. Heather Holliman was with us and we had this conversation that you are hearing, my guess is that there's somebody listening today who has been going through this with a middle schooler in your own life, or maybe you are having these flashbacks of things that happened to you way back then and you see, boy, this is touching a nerve in me right now. Keep listening. Go to the website. You'll see our featured resource by Heather right there, chrisfabrylive.org. This seat saved. A featured resource, go to chrisfabrylive.org. Dr. Heather Holloman is with us today at the Radio Backyard Fence. She's written a lot of great nonfiction books, but on a previous conversation that we had off the air, she said, I'm writing this story, I'm writing a a middle grade uh, novel, especially for girls, but guys would would like it too. And she described this to me and I said, you know what that sounds like? That sounds like Jane Eyre's gone to middle school, (laughs) what it sounds like to me. And as I read this, seats saved. She is a lot like you, Elita. It's. Am I saying her name correctly, Elita? Yes,
1: Alita okay. Brown.
0: Um, she's a lot like you in that she's kind of bookish. She likes to write. She she's um, she expresses herself on the page, and that's my guess. You probably did the same thing, right?
1: I did the difference um, I mean obviously some of the scenes in the book were right out of 7th grade for me but I was much more talkative and demanded a lot of attention whereas my character Alita is very shy and would rather have would rather be in the background but I think a lot of girls are like that in 7th grade they don't know how to present themselves and they're very shy it's a very awkward time but yes some of the scenes come right out of my own seventh grade year, including what? the Fox, including my Fox science project.
0: <laughs> yeah, because you're part of the nature club, right? <laughs>
1: that's right. That's right. You have...
0: <laughs> well, you see, you, she has to choose an elective. Alita does. And yes. so, and she didn't know that this was one of the unwritten rules. You got to choose the right elective. She chose nature club instead of something more trendy. And
2: exactly. she was actually
0: excited when there weren't that many students there. She thought, you know, student to teacher ratio, this is going to be really fun. And then, see, that's the other thing that middle school will do to you. It will kill the weakest part. You know, it will kill this thing that you love. You, you love it, you love it, and then... The peer pressure makes you move away from it, right?
1: That's right. And you start to see that a little bit, except what I do love, and this is sort of downplayed, but there is a boy in Nature Club that I think she's starting to have this crush on. Now, it is a little premature, you know, she's only 12, but there is something about, okay, maybe it is okay that I love this stuff. And my favorite moment in the book is she presents this idea that she has for her science project, and two other students say, I want to be in that group with Alita. And that's that moment when she's like, well, okay, maybe I'm cool. Maybe I could be maybe I could be cool. So I love that the ups and downs, it feels like you're in this storm the entire time you're reading this book because it's so many up and down emotions as you get through it, which I think parallels the life of a 12 year old.
0: Right. And it, it pressing into the mold, you know, there's a Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, mm-hmm. the world wants to press you into a mold, and what Elita is struggling to do is what we all struggle to do, and that is be ourselves. Be the unique creations whom God created us to be, to glorify Him. But so much of everything on the outside is forcing you to to look this way, to be this way, to act this way and to make you look like, you know, to, to conform, to be like everybody else.
1: That's right. And it, it's painful. And I remember those feelings so acutely. I mean, I even journaled back then. And I can remember thinking, I don't have the right clothes. I mean, back then it was all guest jeans. I don't know how <laughs> old you are, Chris, but at least in the 80s, it was, you know, I knew the brands immediately. And sometimes I ask my college students, how old were you all when you became brand conscious? And they all say, oh, oh, Dr. H, it was middle school. You had to have the Nikes. You had to have, you know, this or that. This being conscious of not wearing the right clothes or not having the right phone. I mean, this is all happening to 12-year-olds. They're just hyper aware of what everyone else has and what they should be doing. So it's a very fraught time for sure.
0: Lillian says, making sure my mini skirts and blouses uniform were perfect all the time. Boys, boys, boys. (laughs) No, I mean, homework was in my mind, but that is the most often mentioned thing on Facebook is the awakening to finally seeing they were annoying before then, but now, oh, wow, boys
1: yes and sometimes boys can be such great friends and what i like about middle school is for the first time you're branching out your friend group and what i love about her relationship with this boy named stephen is it really becomes a precious friendship and they actually begin to open up their hearts to each other. So yeah, but you do get that sense of, okay, who's my crush and what's going to happen. I did want to make sure though, in a book like this, you know, there is a school dance and, you know, in our town, there is the first dances in seventh grade. And I wanted her to be a character that you know, her parents aren't going to let her start dating a boy at 12 years old. So they're going to go as a group. You know, I did all of those things that I would do as a mom. So those kind of more prescriptive things are in the novel, too. But yes, people become boy crazy. Her, one of her friends starts dating a boy. That's going to happen when you're in middle school.
0: And one of her friends is really popular, has a TikTok, and she's going viral. I want to talk about that and and the Internet and, and all of those things that weren't around when you and I were in school. Anne says... I had the hardest seventh grade teacher, and I had braces. Those were the yeah. two hard things. Angie says, I was taller than all the boys and girls and taller than some teachers. I felt like a giraffe, and I wished I was a cute little petite thing like many of my friends. I was five seven in seventh grade. I'm six foot tall now. I love being tall now, but that was a really awkward time.
1: Oh, it's so awkward. Oh, it's so awkward. And my heart breaks for you because I remember thinking, okay, I love, you know, I, there were so many things I didn't like about myself, not to mention things like acne and things that you can't control. You know, you're wearing braces, all of that. But what's beautiful in the book is God used a passage in the Psalms where, where it says those who look to him, those who look to God are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. And there's a moment Alita has with her mentor where she learns that true beauty is when you're really radiating the love of God to other people. And I love that moment. And I loved when I learned that as an as an older woman, what it meant to to really realize I was beautiful because I was radiating the love of Christ through my face.
0: This is a great book. If you have a child who's going into middle school, you know, seventh, eighth, of, when I went to junior high, it was seven, eight, nine, and then 10, 11, 12 was high school. And now it's whatever it is. Now. <laughs>
1: Sometimes but, it's sixth, seventh, and eighth. Sometimes it's sixth and seventh. It's different in different states and yes. in different countries. That's why I yes. just said middle school. <laughs> so,
0: yes. This is going to be one of those, and over the summer, and maybe you as the parent read this as your son or daughter reads this as well, it's, it's geared toward uh, females, obviously, but the same thing happens to men. And I want to go to your phone calls, right. too, 877-548-3675. You don't have to be female to answer the question today about what was middle school like? What was the biggest thing that you were frustrated with or you felt a little divided about who you were? This Seats Saved is by Dr. Heather Holloman. Julie is in North Carolina. Hi, Julie.
3: Hello.
0: Well, tell me um, my t- you, tell me your answer.
3: Okay, I was a middle school sub, and at lunch I put my things down to sit with the teachers, and I came, went to get a napkin, and I came back, and they had moved all my things down at the end of the table. They wouldn't uh-huh. let me sit with them. Uh-huh. And um, I was just shocked, and um, I found another sub, and we started sitting together. But my husband found Heather's book, seated with Christ, and so we read that together, and that just changed my life. And Aww. I didn't look, I didn't <laughs> look to sit with them, you know. Again.
0: <laughs> so this happens not just with kids, Julie. It happens with adults.
3: Yes, a, a fifty in the my fifties that happened, So yeah that
0: was one of the things, Heather, that I wanted to bring out at some point today, and that is the same kids that the thing that kids are going on uh, in their hearts in seventh grade. It's the stuff that we're still dealing with, isn't it?
1: It still happens. One of my goals with this book, My vision, is that it would really strengthen the heart of a twelve year old girl so she can know how to battle these things as she moves into adulthood. I mean, this week is senior week for my daughter, Kate, and everyone's going to all these beach weeks and parties. And Kate was not invited to one of them. And same thing. I said, Kate, look, we're seated with Christ. God has an amazing plan for us. You're seated with Him in the heavenly realms. And in that seat, He has special blessings just for you. And we're going to go invite some other people to our table, the, one, the other people who aren't going away with all the popular kids. to the be- So it doesn't end. It does not end.
0: Ron says on Facebook, and Julie, thank you, uh, low self-esteem. I was that kid always chosen last for games during gym class. I was, and if I'm honest, still am heavy. Now it isn't an issue back then. Wow. Um, and that that was for me as well. I've talked about it here before, you know, going for clothes. It was always we went to the Husky section. Mm-hmm, that's <laughs> my husband, yes. Yeah, with went to the Husky section. I just felt like, you know. I'm never gonna be like everybody else. The only game that I got picked first for was Red Rover <laughs> because I could break through anybody's arms if with enough momentum as you're, you know, rolling across the field there uh and you're able to 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 fit in, but that that was the only thing. That weight and I see somebody else saying I was super skinny and so self-conscious of that. So that's just all amplified when you're in the seventh grade, isn't it?
1: Yes, it is. And I'm thankful that you're bringing up that, you know, boys are having this experience too, because earlier this morning, a 10-year-old boy came over to my house with the book in his hands, and he asked me to sign the book because he is dealing with a bully and he heard that there's a bully in my book and he wanted to know how this girl survives having a bully and it just broke my heart to hear what's happening as even in 10 years old. So, yes. I wanted to add that in. I do love that there that both boys and girls can read this book, but you're right. Everything is amplified for this age group and that's why I care so much about having stories and, and loving adults and God's Word and the, and the power of a loving presence of Jesus in the life of a young person to help them survive this time in their life.
0: Leslie says bullying. Well, did you ever have a bully?
1: I had girls that were not nice to me but I didn't have anyone actively harming me but my daughter's my daughter did and it is it was risky for me to put a scene of violence in my book but I thought to myself that's what I'm actually seeing in the middle school I'm seeing parents that say you know this girl scratched another girl I mean it's not if if you're listening and you're like oh I don't want to read a book with a lot of violence in it you know this bully is very troubled and what happens is is people act out when they have these um, things that are troubling them. Maybe they come from traumatic backgrounds. So to really understand what's going on in the life of this bully and then Alita coming to a place of forgiveness and understanding Mm. is important for her, her own healing.
0: It's a great story. See, and we're talking about these themes throughout it, but they are woven in so well in this seat's saved Dr. Heather Holloman. We have a link at chrisfabrylive.org. Sue is in Illinois with this very topic. Hi, Sue.
2: Hi, Chris.
0: Great to talk with Thanks you.
2: Thanks for letting me be on the show. So when I was in junior high, I was very geeky. And uh, I was a musician. I liked to read. I was built like a board. <laughs> Wasn't good at sports. And when the kids were in my class, if you didn't fit in... They threw the girls. I I was in junior high, early 70s. Um, They threw you in the hallway in your underwear from the boys' locker room.
0: Okay, wait a minute. You kind of—I heard most of that. But they threw you in the hallway in your underwear? Well, like from gym class?
2: Yeah. So when you were getting dressed, if they thought you were a geek, they would throw you in the hallway um, in front of the boys' locker room so when the bell rang, you would be laying there without any equal on. Oh my, um, that, that is so traumatic. I, yeah. And I felt bad because they did it to a girl, and of course I didn't come to my rescue because I was a geek. I should have, um, but I, I didn't know Christ yet either. And so I became a clone in class. I thought, well, if they're gonna make fun of people, then I'll make fun of myself. And that got me through. I
0: wow. never got thrown in. <laughs> okay, I want you to hang on Sue because I've got a, a more questions for you and there's somebody listening who's saying that happened to me that and I still feel guilty I didn't stand up for somebody. We'll talk about it. This is Chris Bayberry live on Moody Radio. If you have a middle schooler in middle school or just going into middle school, this is going to be a breath of fresh air for you today, the book, This Seat's Saved. It's a novel for younger people, and it's written by Dr. Heather Holloman, and she's taken some of the biblical knowledge and woven it in so well. That was one of the questions I was going to ask you, uh, Heather, is how do you do this without making it? too heavy-handed, but I don't want you to deal with that now. I want you to talk about Sue's experience of seeing somebody being bullied, and now all these years later, you can hear it in her voice, all these years later, the guilt, the shame, I didn't stand up for her. That's a real scar, too, isn't it?
1: It is a real scar. In fact, some of the complexity in this novel is the popular girl I wanted people to see some complexity there that she wasn't intending to be this terrible person. It's just how kind of, you know, she's not intending to be this evil person. So you're beginning to see a lot of different perspectives of how different people are moving through the novel. But I have heard that very popular girls carry a lot of guilt with them in their adult life because they know That they unintentionally or intentionally excluded and harmed people because they were very popular, they had a lot of charisma. So I have heard this a lot about this kind of guilt of being popular. I do think though that that young people they're doing the best they can, and to expect a young person to come to the aid of someone who's being bullying, I think it's a lot to ask. So I tell people. It's okay to forgive yourself. You were a child and, and you you, can, you don't have to carry that guilt anymore. You can forgive yourself. Don't you think that's true, Chris, that that's a lot to ask? Even it adults is. have a hard time. You know, the bystander effect. Exactly. Adults often don't intervene. And so I know that we all have stories. That, you know, I played pranks on people where I thought I need to call that person and ask for forgiveness, you know, 35 years later. And I look back and I thought, you know, I was a child. I, was, I didn't know what I was doing. I, I was full of sin, you know, just—but getting rid of that guilt, knowing that Jesus is not holding that against you and kind of moving on and forgiving yourself.
0: I remember in the locker room, there were three guys that were, you know, that would, would target people. And I had a friend named Jim, and while we were, you know, having class, they got into the locker room, they got his pants, and they tied him in knots. I mean— where one person gets on one side and the other so that when he opened the locker, his pants were just in these knots that you could, I mean, you could spend a half hour trying to get them, you know, undone. And I remember looking at that and, and laughing, thinking, you know, that's really terrible for you, but it is kind of funny, you know, and then walking out and going to class because I didn't want to be late to class. And here was Jim in his underwear, trying to undo the knots in his pants. and I've never forgot that and i've I've always wondered if what Jim thinks about me or if he would ever speak to me and not you know and think about that. The other thing that Sue you brought up in the break is the class distinction of people who have money and people who don't and you were your family was pretty poor and couldn't afford the towels. Tell me about that.
2: Well, it, you know, it now saying it, it doesn't sound like a big deal, but anything that makes you stand out from the other kids, and I think you had mentioned that, I would have loved to have read that book because I loved to read at that age, but my clothes weren't the most in styles, and I brought a towel from home because my my dad worked three jobs, and didn't have the money for the towel fee so my mom gave me a towel to bring and um, so for me to fit in I just became a clown in class just so that they wouldn't make fun of me and mm-hmm. I, I found a way to avoid being bullied but the girl that got thrown in the hallway it was because I was a geek as well that I didn't stand up for her I don't know what I would have done if I was in the in crowd but I wasn't <laughs>
0: yeah boing mm-hmm. There's just some deep stuff that you've uncovered here, Heather.
1: Well, what, what I like about what you're saying, Sue, and I, I'm learning this as I study trauma at Penn State. I'm getting a certification and, and being a better professor, you know, for students who've had trauma backgrounds. And what I'm learning is it actually doesn't matter what the event is. It's the meaning that you're attaching to the event. So it could be something like the towel. It could be not having a seat at the lunch table, even though it doesn't seem traumatic in the life of a child based on whatever that child feels like it symbolizes for them. It can count as true adversity because of what it symbolizes in their mind. And it becomes very overwhelming. And what I didn't actually I didn't intend it to be such a strong theme. When I went back and edited my book later, I thought, wow, there's really a theme about class structure in here. Because in seventh grade, you start to realize about money and what wealth looks like in your town. And you quickly know whether or not you're rich or you're poor. I saw that in our town. We live in Center County, Pennsylvania, where there's incredibly wealthy families and then a very vibrant, strong working class. And what happens is, is quickly, you know, who's who mm-hmm. and we're a title one school, which means that I think 30% are below the poverty line. So you're right that kids go in early to get the free breakfast and it's a, it's a source of shame. It's a source of hiding. So I do have a scene where my character realizes, Oh my goodness, I'm poor and people are going to be embarrassed about this. So there's a scene where her mentor says, look, you never have to worry about being rich because the riches of nature are are always available to you. And she takes such delight in the riches of nature. And there's a scene you know, near the end where she recounts all that God has provided for her, even having a family where she can have spaghetti dinner some nights, or there's a fox, or there's a friend that has two golden retriever dogs, which are her favorite. So you begin to see these class structures when you're really connected to a secure community and you're curious about life and you have good friends— It doesn't matter. The wealth does not matter anymore. And I love that moment for my character.
0: Sue, thank you for your call. My mother used to say uh, she passed away in August of last year, and I can still see the look on her face when she would say this uh, going to school. Never laugh at anybody's clothes. Anybody else who has clothes and they're they're too short or they're torn or they're not the... Never, never make fun of anybody's clothes. Do you get that, Chris? Yeah, I got that. And it took me until I was an adult to realize that she was the one, you know, she, she was in a, grew up in a, in a mining town and her dad and mom had very li- they had very little when they were growing up. And she was the one who had, you know, the clothes that were tattered. She, she came, that was her scar. Her wounding was not having that. And so she, she kind of drilled that in and I didn't put it together. That that was her wound until you know she she used it for good for me. Um, Now let's go on the other side of this. Here's an anonymous caller. Anonymous, go right ahead.
3: Yes, hi. I'm calling because I was the bully, and uh, a friend of mine. uh, We tormented a young man relentlessly because he had horrible acne. We were in seventh grade and um i believe it was uh by the time we got we were going into eighth grade uh we discovered that we were treated we had treated him really poorly and uh, we would catch the bus uh the public bus uh to school and uh he was at our bus stop and we decided when we went to eighth grade when we saw him that we were going to apologize to him because we saw what, you know, we could see in his eyes. It was like terror that when he saw us, this was going to happen again. And we decided that we would apologize to him. And he did graciously accept our apology. Wow. (laughs) we, We were relieved, and I'm sure he was too, but... Uh, you know, to do that to people that, I mean, I don't remember what his name is. Um, my friend, uh, she has long since died. But just that memory of torturing somebody for something, I mean, you can't do anything about your acting. Right. Uh, to do that to someone, i so hurtful. Gosh,
0: you know, you described that so well to Anonymous that the terror in his eyes when he saw that you two were there, but then the, and I wonder if that wound that he had, if, if we could ask him today, if any of that was assuaged when you actually apologize to him, because that sounds like that's a really a, a powerful thing to do, Heather.
1: I love it. I love that story. I, Anonymous, I love that story. I love that in eighth grade, you had the maturity to apologize. I just I hardly see that, and I love that. It's a moment of healing. and I know and and we just I, I think kids just want power sometimes. They want to feel in control and that and when they start to tease other people, I think it helps make them feel powerful and maybe it takes the attention off of them. I don't know, but I'm so glad that you had that moment where you apologized
0: it's really powerful and that's why you know a, a book like this a story like this that will grab a hold of the heart of a young person i guarantee you when you give this depending on reading speed you know and and that was the thing about girls that i went to school with they got always <laughs> they got always read a lot faster than i would i'd be with, done with a chapter and they'd be done with the book but you give a young person this book and they will get into it and they will start to read and start to see themselves and you might see some of the changes that we're talking about here, even with our anonymous caller. The t- title of the book is This Seat's Saved by Dr. Heather Holloman. You can find out more about it at the website, chrisfabrylive.org, chrisfabrylive.org. Our remaining moments with Dr. Heather Holliman on this Best of Chris Fabry Live. The other day I mentioned this. If you, in your browser, whatever search engine you use, if you will type in the word pregnancy, see what the first thing comes up. Is it a place that that gives help to people or answers about what to do when you think you're pregnant? Or is it an abortion service provider? A lot of the search engines that are out there will... Prioritize abortion service providers, not CareNet. The men and women who are the heroes behind the scenes of CareNet are working hard to value life. Click that green CareNet button when you go to chrisfabrylive.org and you'll see exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, they are a pro abundant life ministry. Just go to chrisfabrylive.org, click the green CareNet button today. All right, here's a a listener who says, In the late 70s, I was in the Deep South. I was one of only nine African Americans in the whole school. It was difficult, but my memories are mostly fond. The best part is I accepted Jesus as Savior at a Friday morning before school Bible study held by my seventh grade homeroom teacher, Mrs. Bendergrass. I remember her as a no-nonsense, somewhat austere kind of teacher, but I knew she loved me. I'm forever grateful. What do you say oh. about
1: that? <laughs> well, I love that. In fact, teachers play a really significant role in this seat saved. And I think the power of a nurturing, consistent, loving teacher, nothing, nothing compares to that in middle school. Just that teacher who you know delights in you and it's going to be there for you because a lot of children come from very bad home lives. And so if you're listening and you're a teacher, I just want to say I think... I'm so thankful for you if you're a middle school teacher. I love that, and I love that Jesus was there for you because that's a huge part of this Seat Saved. My character, Alita, realizing that Jesus loves her and she has a seat at his table.
0: Clelia is in Chicago. Clelia, tell me why you called.
4: Hi. Um, well, I her point about— Um, the ones that felt guilty for something that happened really um, struck out. So my situation, um, I was a very unpopular kid. Our family was kind of new to town, but then – you know, big family, and I was not popular. And so I never got to be invited to any of the stuff that was going on, partially because we were out of town and that would be inconvenient. We didn't think mom would let us, you know, all these different logistical things that kind of set me up to be like the outcast, you know, the one that wasn't a part of the crowd. And um, one day, um, and I'm I'm pretty sure I was in like sixth or seventh grade, I'm not 100% sure, but um, I got a phone call in the evening um saying that they, that there was gonna be a sleepover at Shelley Stearns' house and that I was invited. And I was like, Oh my goodness, that's so exciting. Mom, can I go? You know, and I was kinda shocked that mom said, Yeah, I'll take you. And so got all ready, was all excited. Um, mom dropped me off and, and, and went ahead and left and, and I got to the front door and knocked on the door and Shelly opens the door and she's like, hi, what are you doing here? (laughs) She didn't know what to say. And I was like, well, you just invited me to a sleepover. She says, I didn't, I didn't call you. Um, So obviously I was set up Mm. to show at this person's house. And so then I had to call my mom back and say, oh, it was a prank and there is no sleepover and I need a ride home and at that time it was kind of like okay one more you know one more little straw on the camel's back so to speak not a no big deal i kind of passed it off but obviously it was embarrassing years go by so we're talking 40 years later <laughs> um i needed to rent a room Um, at this cute little hotel above a restaurant that um, was in our hometown and come to find out Shelly was the current owner of that restaurant or of that uh, hotel. And um, when I called her to make the reservations, she expressed to me how badly she felt about that day.
1: Wow. She carried that with her.
4: Wow. She carried that with her. Fifty years wow. well probably 40 40 years and then as far as my own you know you you mentioned that it's it seems like such a small thing and even even for me at the time it felt like okay it's just another chink i had gone on i'd been raised catholic but i didn't know the lord at that time and i had since Um, been saved and have been serving the Lord and have experienced such freedom that that had been completely like, okay, that's no big deal. Right. Until um, it came up about a year, a little less than a year ago that a conversation that I had with a dear friend, there was a miscommunication and I was under the impression that I was encouraged to invite people over for and have a, a prayer time at my house since they weren't going to be doing it at the church. And um, so I'm like, okay. And so I did it, but then apparently everybody in the church was confused because this was perceived as being like not a part of the church, you know, like what what's happening here. And so then I that same feeling of having been mm. set up came yes. back. Fortunately, that dear friend is such a good friend that she doesn't leave things lie. She called and she said, "Talk to me." Like, <laughs> we get to the communication
0: thing. You know the communicating and talking about these things is, will clear up ninety percent you know the, of the problem, but a lot of times we stay silent. Isn't that something, Heather, that, 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 that memory from way back there that then surfaced again?
1: Well, when I speak on Seated with Christ, my nonfiction book, I'll often ask the audience, how many of you all remember seventh grade? And women will start weeping. They will—when I bring up the wound of the middle school lunch table, it's right there, Chris. It's right there in their heart. I said, how many of you were rejected from the table you wanted to sit at? You know, they, they just remember. So it doesn't surprise me at all that that wound was there. And it doesn't surprise me that you carried it even into, you know, later life. That's why I love Ephesians 2. It's my favorite passage of scripture. And I love the power of the Lord to heal these places that maybe we didn't even think were wounds. We didn't even know until later. Like, oh, I was rejected from that table. Why does this hurt me so much? Well, because in seventh grade, doesn't this seem familiar? This happened to you before. So that doesn't surprise me. What do you
0: say to the person who's listening who says, I feel this way about the church? I'm not part of the in group. You know, I Mm. have to clean myself up in order to be a part of this because I've got this and that and the other thing in my life. I'd like to be a Christian. I'd like to be as good as you people. Well, what do you say to that person?
1: Well, I say, first of all, focus on your relationship with Jesus, what I love about this book is at the end, she's able to take her eyes off herself and begin including people who also don't have a seat at the table. So when I go to church and I don't feel like I'm in the in crowd, I remember Ephesians 2, and I say to myself, look, this is just who I am. And I look around and I say, who else needs a seat at the table? Come hang out with me. That's what I do.
0: Because the seat has been given to you by the one who cared enough for you to die for you, you know? Uh, that's right. And and th- and that whole thing about Christianity is a, just a bunch of rules to follow, and if you follow them, you're in. If you don't, you're out. It's not true. It's that's no. that's not what the gospel is. The gospel is you and I are sinners. We can't get to heaven on our own. Jesus did what we couldn't do, and has given us that seat at the table. Oh, this is really right. good, Heather. I'll I'll call a timeout right there. Thank you for your work. Thanks for writing this. I'm looking forward to hearing from young people who get a hold of this. And they start uh, finding their own seat at the table, aren't you?
1: I'm so excited, and I think God's Word's going to come alive to young people who read it.
0: This Seat's Saved is by Dr. Heather Holloman. It's our featured resource. If you go to chrisfabrylive.org. I know there are a lot of people on the line who have had these things cut. This is a real, real issue and a topic that hits deep. I hope you're encouraged today. Go again to the website. you can find out more. And remember, Chris Fabry Live is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Thanks for listening.